Nestled in the Gulf of St. Lawrence is a tiny island with red singing sand, green gables, and sapphire waters. On July 1, 1873, Prince Edward Island, or PEI, became Canada's seventh province and the last of its maritime provinces. That's correct, our home province of Newfoundland is not technically part of the Maritimes. It's more of a special guest star when it joins with New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and PEI to form the mega East Coast region of Atlantic Canada. Think of it like a Voltron of seafood-eating, weird-accented, and uber-friendly provinces. But I digress. Not surprisingly, PEI has the smallest population of all the provinces at about 140-something thousand. Weird, though, it has the highest population density. It would only take about four hours to drive the length of the island, but far longer than that to explore it. Whether you go for the mussels, or the beautiful red sand beaches, or because you're a fan of Anne of Green Gables, or, if you're in our family, to get your fill of cow's ice cream, you will fall in love with PEI. Of course, if you're drawn to the strange and unusual, there's plenty of that, too. Settle in with us as we tell you all about the weird side of PEI. And let me tell you something, it's some weird by. Cow's ice cream, that is something I haven't thought of in a long time. Remember the t-shirts we had? Yep, I certainly do. Welcome to the Some Weird Podcast, Season 2, The Great Weird North, Episode 8, Prince Edward Island. I'm your co-host, Chrissy. And I am your cow's ice cream loving co-host, co-host, Barry. (laughs) So many co-hosts in there. Yeah, cow's ice cream. Prince Edward Island is a place that I've been to a couple times. Uh, You've probably been there more than that, right? I was there twice. I don't think I went without you. Oh, no? Oh, okay. I thought you might have gone there as like a family vacation. Prince Edward Island, or the small island, is a pretty popular tourist destination in Atlantic Canada. Yeah, I specifically remember when we went there, it was like all kinds of like splash and putts, I'll call them, but like, you know, amusement parks or whatever, where they have like mini golf and... Giant trampolines. Yeah, exactly. And there was one that had like a big space shuttle in it. Do you remember that one? Yes. Why did they have a space shuttle? Is there a connection to... To NASA? I don't think so. But anyway, there was one there like that. But they have a bunch of stuff like that. So it's very family oriented and has a beautiful red sand. And the thing I remember most about PEI, which is pretty lame when you think about it, there's no cans there. You had to buy, like when you bought a Pepsi, it was in a bottle. I don't know if that's still the case. but I don't recall that, but I think I had that in, in one of my possible We Weird episodes. Oh, it's some kind of crazy bylaw. I didn't know that. I thought it was just uh, recycling, try to keep the place clean type thing. I do remember going there and, and loving it, but we went on the ferry and I remember that you had to get your car vacuumed out before you got on the ferry. Get the stink of Newfoundland off of it. Uh, no, uh, there was something on the go back then about the potato something, spud worm, or so, I don't, can't remember, but we had to get the, the car vacuumed out. And it was a horrible trip across the, uh, what's it called? Is there a the ocean? Oh. <laughs> wow, that was great. No, like, the, like you know, when you go to Bell Island, it's called a tickle. Uh, is there yeah, some... I, don't, I don't know if there's, there probably is, but I'm not aware of it. It's just a straight up North Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. And then you have to go to Nova Scotia, and then you have to take another ferry to... I think it was from Picto, Nova Scotia, to uh, to Prince Edward Island, but you don't need to do that anymore. No, now you have this huge bridge, the Confederation Bridge, which was built in 1997. Never, I've never been on the bridge because I haven't been there in a while, but really significant size bridge that they did to connect. It's 13 kilometers. 13 kilometers, wow. So that must have been a very difficult thing to, to construct in the ocean. Well, I'll tell you how I know that. It's not just something weird that I have in my head. When we started the Great Weird North season, episode two, Nova Scotia, in the intro for that, I said the Confederation Bridge connects PEI to the mainland by Nova Scotia, but it doesn't. It's from New Brunswick. Oh, okay. So we got it wrong. Yeah, big mistake there. So sorry, New Brunswick. I was dead wrong about the bridge. So uh, yeah, PEI was a place of a family vacation of ours. We went in a Chevette. I don't think there's any better way to go to Prince Edward Island than in a Chevette. So roomy, those Chevettes. So it was just such a comfortable ride. Actually, to be honest, I don't remember it being uncomfortable or anything, but God, that's a small car for a family of five. Anyway. You had to be pretty chill being the youngest because you had to sit in the middle. Uh, I think our dog had puppies in that Chevette after and we had to get rid of it. Yeah. (laughs) The carpet was stained with dog afterbirth, so we had to get rid of it. Good memories. We didn't put that in the sales, uh, the sales pitch. 
but but yeah, PEI. So when you first thing you think of PEI, what's the first thing you think of? Anna Green Gables, probably. Yeah, Anna Green Gables. Yeah, I think that's probably the most popular thing from Prince Edward Island. But I would like personally, I would think more of the red sand. Like that was something that stood out to me. Yeah, because you know, if anybody's been to Newfoundland, our sand is not red, and if you dig within you know six inches down, you're hitting rock. I always find it amazing that you can actually dig more than two shovelfuls without hitting rock. That's right. My kids think the sand in Newfoundland, they call it the place with the blue sand. Blue? Yeah. If you go to Northern Bay Sands or Salmon Cove Sands, I think it's like a grayish color. They call it the blue sand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now you mention that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But Lucy Mott Montgomery, who's the person who wrote Anna Green Gables, I don't, why do you think Anna Green Gables is so popular? To me, it's just a story. Like some girl with red hair who got adopted. It was supposed to be a boy. Puffy sleeve dress. Guy said your hair looked like carrots. That, that's Anna Green Gables to me. I, it's, it's okay, I guess. Nothing special. Wow. You're supposed to be uh, really selling it as a, as a Canadian. I think it's so special because, okay, so she wrote that or it was released in uh, 1908. And I okay. think it really projected that sort of island life. And Anne had such like a grand imagination and i think that really captured internationally the feeling uh-huh. of prince edward island in fact if you read some reviews about anne of green gables from that time uh international reviews they'll comment about how prince edward island and canada is so backwards that you would never be able to have a story like that anywhere else in the world it's like you know, it's not it's okay. not really like that. But I think that's what the appeal was internationally. That's that sort of simple lifestyle and that the goodness of the story. I've personally never read Anna Green Gables. My wife has the book, so I believe she's read it. If you watched, well, obviously everyone's watched the movie. I think that was a All Hollow special. I think everybody got to watch Anna Green Gables at some point. Did you ever see the sequel? Anne of Avonlea? It's Road to Avonlea. That's not a sequel. That was just like a a show in the same universe. There was Anna Green Gables, the sequel, and there was Anna Green Gables, the continuing story. I don't know if there's books written about it, but there was definitely movies. Anna Green Gables is a series of books. It's not oh, just one. It? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's Anna Green Gables was the first one, and then it was Anne of Avonlea, Anne of the Island. Um, I don't know, there's a shit ton oh. of them. But the one that was on, the mini series that was on back in the 80s was just the Anne of Green Gables story, the one that's probably most well-known with the, you know, supposed to be a boy and... Uh, Matthew and what's her name? Marilla was the sister and she wanted to send her back. <laughs> really, yeah. What was the boyfriend's name? Gilbert. Matt Gilbert. There you go. Matthew was the uncle or the, no, not the, the uncle, the, but the, the brother. Yeah. Oh, they were, bro- they were brother and sister, weren't they? Oh yeah. They were, they were, they were getting sexy times. <laughs> That's Anna Green Gables fan fiction for psychos. A- Anna Green Gables slash Flowers in the Attic. You know, we watched Flowers in the Attic on another family vacation. Do you remember? I don't know. Did you watch it? It was a wedding. I think it was our cousin wedding, our cousin Debbie's wedding. I talked to mom about this recently. I said, oh, yeah, so you got a bunch of kids together. You rented Flowers in the Attic. I was watching this. I'm like, you're poisoning the kids with with poison cookies. (laughs) I'm like, why are you making me watch this, mom? It was really psycho that we were allowed to watch that. Not only were they poisoning all the children, but those children were the product of incest. Yeah. She had married her uncle or something like that. All of V.C. Andrews' books is a bunch of family people getting together, banging the shit out of each other and having weird youngsters. It's like Game of Thrones almost. <laughs> anyway, Anne of um, Green Gables, I think that's what it was. It projected that serene island life. And apparently it's like super, super popular in Japan. In Japan? Okay. Yeah, mi- like millions of Japanese tourists go to the Anne of Green Gables Heritage House. We went to it. We did, yeah. And it was like everyone was roped off so you couldn't go and sit on Marilla's bed when after Matthew took care of her. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There's a Netflix adaptation out right now called Anne with an E. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. I think it's a CBC or it comes on some channel as well. But See, there is a universal appeal. My 13-year-old daughter, who doesn't know that Prince Edward Island is even a thing, God bless her, she pronounces Newfoundland right, though, so that's, that's points for her. But, uh, you taught her well. Yeah, I taught her well. Uh, but she came across as Anne with an E, and she was like, oh, she wanted to check it out, and she friggin' loves it. Oh, cool. It's very much grittier than the one we watched at All Hollows. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Anne has flashbacks to getting beaten and all kinds of stuff. Oh, uh, you really you see Matthew really really going to town on Marilla, do you? <laughs> yeah, Anne walks in. He's, she's Matthew's arse. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> 
And that's how you ruin Anna Green Gables, everybody. One thing I've always wondered about Prince Edward Island, how did Prince Edward Island get its name? My assumption is mm-hmm. it was it's from a British monarch. You know, things have names. Places have names. You don't really think about it until you do a podcast. <laughs> You're forced right. to think about it. So, yeah, who is Prince Edward and why does he get to have an island? The University of Prince Edward Island history professor Edward McDonald has a YouTube channel. And I was learning stuff from it. And, okay. and this is one of the things I learned. All right. PEI has gone through a bunch of different name changes in its history. First, it was called Minigu. That was the name given to it by the Mi'kmaq people, the original inhabitants of the island. And Minigu just means the island. Okay. Very self-explanatory name. In 1534, Jacques Cartier. Right this way. Sailed on by the northern coast and called it Ile Saint-Jean. In 1763, the British acquired it and almost all of the French colonies, and they were kind of lazy, and they just called it St. John's Island. They just anglicized the name. But to quote Sir Topham Hatt from Thomas the Tank Engine, it caused confusion and delay. And by delay, it caused delay (laughs) in the mail, because everything was called St. John's. There was St. John's Newfoundland, St. John New Brunswick, and a shit ton of other St. John and St. John's's throughout the British Empire. So the islanders wanted a unique name. So they went to the British Parliament and they said, can we be called New Ireland? And they went, no. So that was the end of that. <laughs> Darn it. Uh, apparently they they didn't follow the, the proper protocol of like groveling properly or something like that to be called it. So the British Parliament was just like, no stupid colony. You're going to remain St. John's Island. In 1798, Prince Edward, the Prince Edward, he's the Duke of Kent and son of King George III, you know, mad King George most famous for losing the Americas. He was enjoying a military post in Halifax. This guy, Prince Edward, was like, I like that island. And Parliament said, awesome, we'll name it for you. And he said, nice. That's how it got its name. (laughs) Oh, wow. The name Prince Edward Island became official in 1799. But this is the Some Weird Podcast, so here's a twist. Prince Edward himself never, ever visited Prince Edward Island. He just said, I like that island. And they said, all right, it's oh, named for you now. So he, he liked the way it looked? He, he was never there? I guess he liked the way it looked from a gazing at it from uh, from, from Nova afar. Scotia. Yeah. I was going to say, was Prince, Edward, was Prince Edward ever upset that they, everyone calls it PEI, not Prince Edward Island, so he gets cut out of it all the time? I don't think he gave a shit because hmm. not only did he never go there, he also never thought it needed to be its own colony. He's like, you don't need your own colony. You're tiny. You should be part of Nova Scotia. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Anyway, the name stuck and it became Prince Edward Island. Incidentally, Prince Edward Island's capital, Charlottetown, is named for Prince Edward's mother. Yeah, okay. So what became of Prince Edward? Uh, Aside from having a future Canadian province named after him, he was also the father of the second longest reigning sovereign in British history behind current Queen Elizabeth II. He was Queen Victoria's dad. Oh, wow. Look at that. So that's who the Edward is of the Prince Edward Island. I had no idea. Either die, no. And I, I, and I didn't look it up specifically because you said you were going to talk about it. So, yeah. That's the story of, of the naming of Prince Edward Island. So, a couple of famous people from Prince Edward Island. We already spoke about Lucy Maud Montgomery. She wrote Anna Green Gables, which is a internationally famous series of books, apparently, about Prince Edward Island and the island life. I, I, I thought it was an 80s uh, CBC bo- uh, movie, but uh, apparently it was, it's a, that it was a book. Too. Sorry, it's that too. Or, or Netflix show, depending on what. Uh, Genera- whether you're a millennial or a Generation Xer, I guess. That's right. Um, Jonathan Dorrance is from P- uh, Prince Edward Island, born in Charlottetown. So you know who Jonathan Torrance is, right? Yeah, boy. <laughs> Isn't he that guy? <laughs> J to the I-O-C, motherfucker. Is that him? That's him, yeah. Okay, yeah, he, yeah. He's famous for a couple of things. J-Rock J- is probably the thing I like him for the most from, from Trailer Park Boys. Him and uh, T or Tyrone, was, it was J-Rock and the Rock Pile. Oh, wait, he didn't say that. He'd say... You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? What are you taking? Saying? What are you, taking you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he used to have a kid show or, or a talk show or something. Yeah, he had, a show, he had a show called John and Vision, uh, which was it was pretty famous. Street Sense. Remember Street Sense? Fit for the Pit. It was a show to be like, it was like a consumer show where they uh, independently yes. rate things. I actually like that show. Yeah, it was a good show. I, I like Jonathan Torrance. He, he's a, he got a podcast called uh, Taggart and Torrance so with Jeremy Taggart, who was... Uh, the drummer for Our Lady Peace. So they do a oh. podcast that's very Canadian about Canadianity. It's really good. You should check it out. 
Uh, he was on a show called Mr. D. He was the principal there. Closest to my heart is he actually played Shane McKay in a season three episode of Degrassi to Next Generation. Do you remember Shane? Was Shane the father of uh... Emma? Yes, Emma. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And he got he got drugs, and then he jumped off a bridge. What? That was Jonathan Torrance. It wasn't Jonathan Torrance originally, but apparently oh. what happened. Apparently what happened was uh, the guy who played him, I want to say his name was Bill Parrott, but I could be wrong on that. He said that he didn't like the way his character was being developed, and so he refu- he wouldn't do it, uh, the character in Degrassi Next Generation. So they got Jonathan Torrance to do it. Okay. I love Jonathan Torrance. I don't know. I, I, his portrayal of Shane McKay, I think, is a little bit left to be desired. Okay. In my opinion. Well, you are the Degrassi expert. Yeah, that's right. I'm a big, big Degrassi guy. So, so that's, uh, yeah, he was born in Charlottetown, and Cowboy Mike Hughes. Come on. Yeah, he's a wrestler. Uh, he's not a very famous wrestler, but I think he's had a few tryouts in WWE and all that, but he's never really made the big time. But he's done a lot of like the Atlantic independent wrestling, and he's been here several times, and I've seen him wrestle live for Legend City Wrestling, which is a defunct local wrestling organization out of St. John's, Newfoundland. And I've seen him wrestle, so he was, uh, he's from PEI, actually. Well, I'm going to applaud you like yeah. for finding a wrestler from Prince Edward Island. So far, there's only been one that you've not been able to find a wrestler for so good on you buddy i have a very interesting ghost story that i would like to share with you the lovely audience of some weird podcast and you too chrissy okay thanks i make up 50 percent of the audience you're the other 50 percent <laughs> it's a ghost story kellos hollow so kellos hollow is a bridge that goes over a stream on the trans canada highway so according to local tradition many strange events have occurred here Next to this bridge, there's a giant pine tree, and there's a story about a group of spooks that lived in this tr- the hollow trunk of the of the tree. So one of the most famous ones is there's a guy by the name of Jack Conaway. He was one of three brothers that lived in Cornwall, which was an area uh, close to this bridge, and this gentleman met his demise at this area. He was out at Noah's Ark. No, not the biblical boat, <laughs> but the uh, a local tavern. I was going to say, that should be the number one famous thing about Prince Edward Island, if that's the case. <laughs> Noah's Ark is found there, yeah. So after a night of drinking, he mounted his steed and rode towards the area of Kellos Hollow. So this was, you know, back in the day when it wasn't cars, it was everyone got around on horseback. The horses were the wheels? Yes, the horses were the wheels, yeah. <laughs> As he approached, he noticed that the horse started, act, started to act unusual. It seemed uneasy and a bit frightened. He tried to ease the horse, but when he was about halfway across the bridge, he heard a loud scream. This spooked the horse. Jack tried to whisper in his horse to try and calm it down and said, Easy there, old girl. Nothing to be afraid of. At that point, the horse got on its hind legs and kind of bucked him right off. See, this is what I'm saying about horses. You can't be trusting them. They're scary. Yeah, so when he bucked him off, he fell down and kind of broke his neck. Kind of, or... (laughs) Or officially. He fully broke his neck. Okay. Did it kill him? Yeah, he was killed. What a wimp. Our mother broke her neck and she she was fine. The entire event was witnessed by a man by the name of James Kello, and that's why... That's where the name Kellos Hollow came from. That doesn't really have much to do with the story, but anyway, he did witness this this death. Okay. From that point on, Jack's spirit haunted that spot, and he was frequently seen. There were other creatures from the land of mist that t- they all took up their residence in the large hollow tree. Now, what the land of mist is, I'm not really sure. I didn't really get into that, but basically, there was this tree, and a bunch of spirits lived in this tree, and Jack was one of those spirits. Okay, I have questions for the end. Okay. So several months later. Jack's brother, Michael, was riding the same path as Jack. Again, the horse came to a sudden and full stop. He snorted and twitched his ears, right around the same area. Michael looked around and noticed that the pine tree was lit up with lights of many sizes and colors. So all of a sudden, it was a Christmas tree. Yeah, well, Merry Christmas. While standing at the site in amazement, something hit the tree and knocked all the lights off. So the Grinch came down and and hit the tree. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. For an instant, absolute silence. There's something very eerie about full silence, too. A hundred percent there is, yeah. Like when your power goes out and you don't hear your fridge anymore, your house sounds like it's full of ghosts. Yeah. So, uh, again, after this absolute silence, he heard his brother say, easy there, old girl, nothing to be afraid of. So the same thing Ooh. that he said to his horse, for the horse bucked him off. But this horse didn't buck him off, uh, didn't buck Michael off. Uh, Michael was actually freaked out. He said he clearly day heard his, his, his brother Jack, and he's about to address his dead brother. And then he saw 20 white-clad figures all on sides of the river wearing full skull caps. Ew. Yeah. So he couldn't believe the whole thing he was seeing. He actually counted them twice to make sure he wasn't hallucinating. So he actually counted 20 just a couple times just to make sure that's exactly how many he saw. 
Okay. So there were 20, and they were being led by Jack, Michael's brother. So they basically marked across the bridge right in front of them, and they all walked into the tree. <gasps> how big is this tree? There's this huge tree. It's a big hollow tree that oh. uh, I don't I don't know how big it is, but big enough for 20 white-clad figures wearing skull caps. <laughs> but they're from the land of mist, so they compress. Exactly. And I guess Michael saw this, freaked him out, and I guess he told the story and has lived on to this day. Okay. And now the tree's, the tree's now cut down, and Aww. I saw a picture of uh, what this stream looks like, and it looks like heavy rain and there's a bit of water going, going across the driveway. That's what it looks like, so. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it looked different back when it was the horses were the wheels. So what's your questions that I won't have answers for? All right. So Jack was going along on his horse and the horse got suddenly spooked at this tree area, right? Yes. On a bridge, yep. Do you think part of the story is that that tree is haunted and it spooked the horse? Yes. That's what it is. Okay. So I don't know about in Prince Edward Island folklore, but I know in Newfoundland folklore, there's a lot of stuff around horses specifically mm-hmm. getting weirded out about ghosts and fairies and stuff like that. They get affected by uh, particularly the fairies. So like if yep. you go get your horse the next morning and their mane is all messed up because the fairies were either riding the horse and getting all tangled or they knot up the horse's hair. It's interesting that, the, well, of course, the horses were also the transportation. So They were the wheels. They were the wheels. They may be our first t-shirt. The horses are the wheels. <laughs> I think I'm the only one who found that so funny. I don't know why I did. So, yeah, that was my question about the horse, or that was my observance about the horses. Yep. And then you said the land of the mist, but you don't know what that was. Yeah, it was just like a throwaway line into the whole story. I was actually going to cut that out because I think that's going to be more confusing because it's going to spark questions from you that I won't have answers. Okay. <laughs> but, but I left it in. Okay. But I guess what it is, is like there's 20 white clad figures. So I guess there was Jack was one of them and 19 of them are these land of mist creatures, whatever that means. So he became like the leader of the mist people, it seems like. He did, yeah. All he had to do was break his neck. You're right. I know the tree is gone, but do people still see things there? Yes. <laughs> all right all the time you're fucked everyone's fucked if you go there it's just it's strange that the horse got spooked and then and then the second brother's horse got spooked at the same thing yeah i don't know have you ever thought you heard something that wasn't there oh i'm sure i have i can't think of a specific event like right now but i'm sure i have the meeps well the me- yeah the meeps is a good one but like say if if you're even if you're in a big crowd do you sometimes think you like hear your name no. No? How about this one? If you're in a crowd and someone says, Dad, do you look? Or is this a mom thing? I, I don't know if I've ever been in any situation, so. What? You've never been in a situation? You've been to Disney. What are you talking about? That's true. Maybe it's a mom thing, because I can hear someone say mom, and it can be a 40-year-old man who's clearly not my child, but I'll still look to see who needs me for something. Yeah. I'll give you a Disney story now. My son had to go to the bathroom when uh, we were at Disney one time, and I had to go as well. So we went into the urinals, and I, he was right next to me, and he finished urinating before me, and he took off right at the door. Oh, like, right no. Right at the bathroom door. And I'm still there peeing, so I kind of, you know, stop, and I run out, and I can't see him anywhere. I'm looking <gasps> around, and I'm screaming his name top of the line. I was like, he's a kid from Disney here tonight. Oh, yeah? And I'm running around everywhere, and I finally, you know, for, after a couple minutes, I go back to where the rest of our family is, and he's there with them. He ran right back to them. Oh, okay. And I was like, don't ever do that again. Like I said, you got to wait for me to be finished. Like I couldn't go after him because, you know, I guess I could have, but I would have been running around naked after him, right? So you would have been hosing all over the place. But That's right. I mean, in the moment, I'm sure you would have panicked because anybody oh, would have. I was panicking. Like you wouldn't believe. However, if you had your wits about you for five seconds, you would have realized that nobody at Disney wants another child. <laughs> nobody <laughs> is taking your kid. They don't even want their own half the time. So. Yeah, that's true. It's probably a very, very, very low chance of getting kidnapped at Disney. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right. My story is also about a ghost. And the last time that we had a lot of weird things happen was when we did the Newfoundland ghost story, I think. Yep. Remember that one? I do. And then this episode in general has been put off for how many weeks are we behind here now? Like we should have had this done a couple weeks ago. Exactly. Yeah. There's been so many things happening to sort of keep pushing it off this might be the most haunted episode there is just saying many cultures with a rich folkloric tradition have a concept of a harbinger of death that means something happens and it foretells somebody is going to die right okay one of the most well-known 
globally, like among everyone on earth. Uh, most people would probably think of the Irish banshee. So if you hear the wail of the banshee, someone in your family is going to die. That's kind of a, a well-known piece of folklore. In Newfoundland, we call something that predicts the death a token or sometimes a death token. And then usually this would be like the vision of somebody who you wouldn't have expected to see, but there they are in front of you and it kind of puts you off a bit. So in Newfoundland, the death token or token or death token would be you, you see somebody who you don't expect to see. And then later you learn that that person died. And these were very common stories, mostly about sailors lost at sea. So you could see how the whole culture yeah. would have been conducive to something like that. I personally distinctly remember my grade five French slash homeroom teacher telling us a story exactly like this when I was in grade five. She said that her friend, who was also a teacher, was teaching one day and then suddenly she saw her father standing at her desk. She was surprised, of course, that he was standing in her classroom and was like, what are you doing here? Her students were very confused and so was the my teacher's friend, who was also a teacher, uh, she was also surprised when her father disappeared. And she had learned later that day that her father was killed in a car accident. And, and the students saw him too? No. The students were surprised because the teacher said, Dad, what are you doing here? Oh, okay. I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And then the teacher was surprised when the dad disappeared in front of her. If I look back over the history of my own life, I pinpoint that as a time that I became interested in the supernatural. Okay. So this out of some weird podcast was created, the Genesis. Yes. So when my fifth grade teacher comes back and says, I want royalties, you know who she is. Yep. We'll have to scrub this from the internet because we don't want to share our $15. You ain't getting shit. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, back to J-Rock. In the book, Ghost Stories and Legends of Prince Edward Island by Julie Watson, she calls them forerunners. This is a book I read in research for this podcast, an entire book from cover to cover. Wow. <laughs> That's right. commitment. I'm, I'm fully committed. She tells one story in the book of a man who is off fighting in World War I. This is an example of a forerunner. One night, the father hears the sound of someone entering his house followed by this, what sounded like someone pulling off and dropping their big old boots and then climbing the stairs. Of course, he had later learned that the son was on a ship that was torpedoed and everybody died. He later learned someone was just robbing him blind. <laughs> you know, that's that's just like a typical sort of forerunner story. It's 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 the same story. What is that you said one time? It's the same. It's not the same, but it rhymes, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. In 1858, the Reverend Donald McDonald, who was a clergyman... That's, that's good handle. That's, that's his name. Donald McDonald. He was either going to be a reverend or start a hamburger restaurant. Yeah, I was about to say, that was, <laughs> it was my next point. Uh, so yeah, Reverend Donald McDonald, he's a clergyman who preached in both Gaelic and English to about 5,000 Prince Edward Islanders, may have acted as a forerunner who predicted the tragic and brutal death of a 40-year-old single mother named Anne Beaton. Anne of Green Gables. Okay. Everyone in Prince Edward Island is named Anne, or at least two of the people in this episode of the Some Weird Podcast. All right. So before we, we get into the story of Anne Beaton, um, I'm going to put it in a historical perspective, like we did when we did the Bell Island boom, where we talked about the Cold War and everything. So this is what was on to go in, in, in 18th century Prince Edward Island. So in 18th century, the British strolled on up to Scottish Highlands and said, you know, your social order, language, culture, and way of life. Anyway, you're not allowed to have that anymore. So you're in the United Kingdom now. That's the brief history. <laughs> Is this Braveheart? Freedom. A lot of, they were all blue. A lot of the Scottish people didn't like it and said, I'm going to the New World and taking all that shit with me. And then they did. So many Scottish emigrants left their homeland uh, starting in the 1700s and settled in Prince Edward Island and other colonies in the New World. In 1829, it was the Beaton family's turn. They and many of the settlers in the village of Rear Settlement emigrated to Prince Edward Island from the Scottish Isle of Skye. So they came from an isolated place in Scotland, this Isle of Skye, mm -hmm. and they went to an isolated place in Prince Edward Island called Rear Settlement. Their cultural heritage was pretty toit. 
In the article Murder and Cultural Construction in the 19th Century Prince Edward Island, I did it for the show. <laughs> nice. Author Douglas Malcolm cites Memorial University folklore professor Peter Narvaez, who was one of my professors when I was at Munn, mm. who says that fairy folklore persisted in Newfoundland because the Irish and the southwestern English immigrants who brought their fairy stories came from a relatively isolated community and were able to replicate that when they got to Newfoundland. So when comparing Scottish immigrants to Prince Edward Island, specifically those immigrants from the Isle of Skye, Malcolm says, same. But even further than that, like in Newfoundland, everyone was from Ireland and England. They all spoke English. A lot of the Scottish immigrants to Prince Edward Island only spoke Gaelic. Oh, really? Yes. If they spoke English at all, it was as a second language. And some didn't speak English at all. So they- You don't even know the swear words. <laughs> they did not because they were very religious. In Newfoundland, you know, they, they had small, isolated <laughs> isolated communities. But in Prince Edward Island, they were further isolated by the language barrier because Prince Edward Island was a British colony from 1763 onwards. Well, not onwards, until it became part of Canada. So was the Hudson's Bay, were they hunting beavers there in, in PEI or what? They didn't bother with that crowd, did they? You know what? They wanted Prince Edward Island to join in the beginning. But we didn't really touch on this because the whole thing that created Canada was the Charlottetown Accord. Yes, exactly. I, I mentioned this before saying that I thought PEI was right from, was an OG, but apparently not. Well, obviously no. The four OGs and Prince Edward Island were at the Charlottetown Accord or something. Something like that. Charlottetown something, yeah. Yeah. And the four guys were like, sounds great. And PEI was like, fuck that shit. It doesn't sound good to me. And they said, I want to stay a colony, but thanks for visiting, you know. <laughs> so now let's talk about the murder of Anne Beaton. Anne Beaton was raped and murdered near her home in Rear Settlement, Prince Edward Island. Rear Settlement is now called Lindale, so I don't know if they changed it yeah. <laughs> right Rear after Rear Settlement's this. a very generic name, isn't it? <laughs> it is. The fuck calls the place Rear Settlement? I don't know. Where's the front settlement? That's what I want to know. Anne Beaton was raped and murdered near her home of rear settlement, Prince Edward Island, now a town called Lindale, in May of 1859. She was a 40-year-old single mother who lived with her brother, Murdoch, on his farm. At the time of her murder, her child was only a year old and the father was listed as unknown. But here is what was known. On May 12, 1859, at about 4 p.m., she left her home and visited with her neighbors, the McPhersons. By their account, they had a lovely normal visit and she headed home about sunset. Anne and her child lived with her brother Murdoch, like I said, on the farm, but Murdoch was away on the night of, the tw of May 12th. When he returned the next day, he discovered that Anne was not in the house. So a search ensued and on May 14th, two days later, he found her body in the back of his property. Reportedly, the coroner took her body to the barn to be examined, where he determined that she was raped and bludgeoned to death. Justice of the Peace Burke, an Irishman, was the main investigator. Newspaper accounts of the crime at the time were actually very descriptive and gruesome. Like they would say like, oh, she was stabbed in the face and beat about the head. Her skull was crushed in. Like they were really, really graphic, which you wouldn't mm -hmm. really think of for the time. No. But they were like in it for the sensational story. Like TMZ in. Exactly. They were the, they were the TMZ at the time. Uh, days later, a blood caked farming tool called a grubbing hoe was found nearby. Investigators used their context clues and Burke and the authorities determined that this was the murder weapon. <laughs> okay. There was no other blood caked implements laying about. <laughs> All right, so they learned that this hoe belonged to a close neighbor of the Beatons called the Matheson family. At least three of the women who are questioned during the investigation say that they were accosted by Archibald Matheson. Subsequently, Burke arrested three members of the Matheson family, including Archibald, Margaret, and Murdoch, not to be confused with her brother Murdoch. I guess Murdoch, <laughs> Murdoch was a very common name. Yeah. But they were all set free on bail. In July of 1859, the case went before the grand jury. The case was dismissed, and that was the end of it. No one was ever tried for the rape and murder of this woman. I don't know if this has anything to do with it or not, but Burke only spoke English. So like I said, there was that really big disconnect by uh, a lot of the Scottish immigrants 
because they only spoke Gaelic. Yep. So he had to, when he was interrogating, or not interrogating everybody, but he was questioning people and trying to find out what was going on. It was said he spoke to up to 500 people, which is a shit ton of people. And he only spoke English, so he needed an interpreter for all the yep. Gaelic-speaking people. This proved to be problematic. So, for example, one, one of the things in this paper that they gave it as an example was when Burke wanted to say, have you been involved in this crime in any way? When it was translated to Gaelic, it sounded more like confess whether or not you committed this crime. Indeed. So it's, it wasn't like, did you see something or, you know, anything? It was just like, did you do it or not? Confess. So I don't know if that had anything to do with just a different way that things were interpreted. If that was why the grand jury said, you know, not enough evidence, no trial. Yep. I'm not sure. So, you know, those are very different questions. I, I don't know. There might have been a whole bunch of stuff lost in translation. That's what I'm saying. So what do you do when the Crown doesn't have a conviction? Obviously, this woman was raped and murdered. Even by today's standards, Prince Edward Island, the entire place is a pretty small place. This has is, to be yeah. a huge story, right? So no one is convicted, but there's a victim. And this spawns a lot of stories about the possibilities. One of the stories was that Anne, who was a single mother, was therefore very sexually promiscuous and was murdered by a jealous wife. She was raped, but that was sort of washed over in this theory. Another popular story was that she was murdered by a stranger. The idea of the stranger is popular in many, many stories. It's not someone in your community. It's always someone from the outside. With the thought being that it could be somebody from our community, so it has to be somebody else. Our wholesome little place, yeah. Rear settlement. There's no way someone <laughs> in a rear settlement would do that. Yeah, it would have been really difficult for them to think it was like one of their own, even though it probably made more sense, especially because they found the murder weapon. <laughs> in, in their neighbor's house, yeah. <laughs> That's or, right. And then there, there was other stuff too, like those other, at least three other women said that he accosted them. You know, like he yeah. had a bit of a history of being sexually aggressive. To perpetuate the story of the stranger, a local blacksmith said that on the night of the murder, he was working late at his workshop and a stranger came in. But then that story kind of evolved even further so that eventually it wasn't just some strange person came in, but an entity actually appeared out of the forge. And surely this was the culprit. Makes sense. Yeah. Also, a curious piece of Highlander lore made its way into this version of the story. This was actually the thing that hooked me into this story to begin with. It said that if somebody is murdered and the murderer places their hands on the victim... On, the, on their body, fresh blood will gush from the body, but only if it's the murderer that touches them. So it was said that the entire adult community laid their hands on the lifeless body of Anne Beaton and no fresh blood appeared. Therefore, it wasn't one of us. Yeah, that's, that's science, right? Blinded me with science. But I thought I've <laughs> never heard anything even close to that. I've never heard that before, no. Yeah, you could tell who it is by if you touch them, something is going to happen. And it will only yeah. happen if you're the perpetrator. Must be a lot of unsolved crimes back in those days. Oh, you had to line up and touch a corpse, can you imagine? Mm -hmm. So a year before the murder of Anne Beaton, that Reverend Donald McDonald, he was doing one of his Brother Loves Travel and Salvation Show revivals. <laughs> and <laughs> for real, this is the kind of preacher he was. So at his Traveling Salvation show, he was holding, for some reason, a Bible and a candle. I, I don't know why. You just you hold these things. And lo and mm -hmm. behold, up strolls Miss Anne Beaton. And she's filled with the spirit and flopping around and getting all, <laughs> whatever, filled with the spirit. And she's in some kind of a frenzy. And she knocks both of those items down as she approaches the Reverend Donald McDonald. She didn't burn the place down, so that's good. But yeah. it was said that her fate was sealed at that moment because the Reverend Donald McDonald said, or he was reported to have said, they're both under her feet now, but mark the end of that girl. I don't even know. Did she step on them after? Because <laughs> he knocked it out of her hands by mistake? Or knocked them down by mistake? Yep. So she's dead. Well, that's what he said. Is that a pretty religious thing to say to someone's internal damnation or is going to die because of an accident? Well, this Donald McDonald is an interesting character. Like, he came from Nova Scotia, and apparently he was sort of disgraced, and that's why he had to leave. So, like, mm -hmm. he, he's an interesting character to himself, so. Okay. 
And who's writing down every single thing somebody says? Who's exactly. going to say, like a year later she dies and they're like, oh, remember that time she knocked down that candle and he said that? Yeah. Also, it's not really prophetic to say that missus is going to die someday because that's going to happen to everybody, right? <laughs> that's fact. Like, it's not like he predicted their method or whatever. Slow your roll, Nostradamus. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought that was interesting that, that they thought that he might have been like the, a forerunner for her or death token yeah. for her by saying, one day you're going to die. And he was correct. After the murder of Ann Beaton, the site of the crime was renamed Goblin's Hollow. Mm-hmm. A cairn was placed there, but it's long since gone. Cairn is just a stack of rocks that have fell down probably 100 years ago. You said a cairn? Cairn. C-A-I-R-N. Cairn. Oh, I thought you were saying Karen is in a middle-aged <laughs> white woman. <laughs> Cars and shit. With chunky highlights, asking for the manager. Yeah, because he refuses to wear a mask because it's against her rights. That's right. No, not a Karen, a Karen. Okay. Apparently, her brother Murdoch felt that uh, there was one too many Murdochs in town, so he left (laughs) for parts unknown. That's right. Not long after Anne's murder. Eh, Maybe he couldn't stand it anymore. Maybe he was like, I know who did it, or one of you did it, or whatever. Maybe Murdoch was the father. Nobody knows what happened to her child, who was only a year old. Okay. No mention at all. Uh, but today it said that you could see the ghost of Anne Beaton, of course, right, on Queens Road in Lindale, which was the new name of Rear Settlement. Uh, yeah. you, you'll know it's her because she's the semi-transparent missus dressed in white and acting all in distress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spoken, but, everyone. But there's a catch in this ghost story, which is interesting. You can only see the ghost of Anne Beaton if you don't know the story of Anne Beaton. So now that you oh. know it, you'll never see her ghost, apparently. That's right. We did some weird tour of PEI and we went to Boston and all that. You're not going to see it because you know the story. <laughs> right. No one's going to see her. Except for you're going to bring your cousin with you because you don't want to go by yourself. And that yeah. person's going to be flipping the fuck out because they see a ghost. And they were like, yes, and beaten. Actually, that's your assignment. You have to bring someone on the Somewhere podcast tour that doesn't know the story or doesn't listen to the podcast at all. Yep. And they'll be like, what are these stupid noofies talking about? <laughs> the reality tour. Uh, aside from the reported sightings of Anne Beaton's ghost, there's also been stories of supernatural occurrences at Goblin's Hollow. One story tells about how a couple were passing through uh, in the horse and carriage. Maybe it's a stagecoach. I don't know. <laughs> oh, this goes back to your story. The horse becomes frightened uh, yep. and suddenly stops. It causes the wife to be thrown from the carriage. But the husband, don't worry about him. He was safe because he was carrying a Bible. Oh, of course. I mean, if he was carrying the Bible to protect him, why didn't he give an extra one to his wife? Or why didn't yeah. he hold like one hand each to hold the Bible? What a stingy fuck. Yeah. Children in the area are said to, and this is something that's common too, you know, if there's like a scary place, and you're like, I dare you to go touch the yep. haunted house door or something. So children in the area uh, were said to wrap a coin in like a handkerchief and then tie that handkerchief to a tree at the murder site. And then you're dared to go get that uh, handkerchief at night. And if you do, your reward is that coin. More modern day stories include the story a guy called Gordy tells. He and his two young sons went fishing in the area. The kids were all excited because they were going to get to go fishing. They rushed on down the little path there through the Goblin's Hollow. And shortly thereafter, they come rushing out, they're freaked out. They say they saw a woman down there moaning in pain. Gordy says he didn't see anything, but he was not taking his chances fishing there. Nor, you know, now that I think about it, nor did he go to see if there was someone who needed help. (laughs) He was just like, (laughs) all right, out of here. In another story, friends Linda and Charlie, they go exploring in the area. They want to search for, this is the kind of fun you're looking for, right? They go and search for a sinkhole and a spring. So uh, you got to make your own fun when you're in a small place, I guess. I guess so. But before they venture into the woods, they feel like the ground is shaking and it sounds like there's someone like running towards them. They both get this sensation and it feels like people are running past them. They think that's Anne Beaton running from her uh, perpetrator. Interesting. Those are kind of some supernatural stories around it. So not only was no one ever tried for this crime... No one even knows where her final resting place is. She doesn't have a grave marker as such. They know she's a person at least, right? They do know she's a person for sure. It's these, you know, the stories of her murder are well documented through newspapers and uh, the coroner's report, but they don't know where her final resting place is. It's rumored that she's interred at the historic Kirk Cemetery. It hasn't been in use since the early 1900s, but again, no 
grave marker. Or maybe she doesn't rest anywhere. Maybe she's just roaming around as a ghost, scaring yep. people. Who knows? And that's why she doesn't have a resting place, because she's still floating through the veins. She's part of the island. But that's a story. So, yeah, it's a real story of a real murder. You know, the weirdest thing about it is, aside from, you know, it, uh, stories grew out of it like... It couldn't have been one of us. It must have been a stranger. I saw something weird coming out of the forge. That ghost was the thing that killed her. And then, you know, people report seeing her ghost going forward. So it's it's kind of like a standard ghost story, but it has real historical roots in it. Yeah, it's a very interesting story. You mentioned earlier that you recently listened to our first episode about the Bell Island boom. Mm-hmm. Have you recently listened to our second episode, which was the fairies? No, I have not. Well... Newfoundland, like I said before in that story, was very famous. The fairies is a very popular thing. I guess depending on where you are in the island, some parts of the island didn't hear much about fairies, but certainly where we're from, it was very prevalent. But did you know that PEI had fairies as well? I did not. The fairy lore is actually in PEI as well. Uh, it played a role in the folklore of PEI ever since the days of the first Irish and Scottish settlers. Makes sense. Yeah. So similar to the fairies in Newfoundland, they're not your typical friendly, wish-producing Disney fairies. Mm-hmm. Uh, stories about them are of dire warning, punishment, or mischief. So again, they're not the uh, the friendly fairies. They're the... Uh, the evil fairies. The ones that we like. That's right. I wonder how the, the fairies did go from... Because that's the traditional fairy story. The evil yeah. fairy. The like, it's going to take you away and you better put your clothes inside out so you confuse them and put bread in your pocket and everything. They were bad guys. I wonder how they switched yeah. from that to like the Disney fairies. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. If you know the answer to that, please, somewhereadpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know. Back to the story here. Um, wooden areas were, are areas where the fairies lived, and their voices echoed through the woods and often mistaken to be a child. Mm-hmm. Children were taught to ignore these voices, and children who went searching for the source of their voices would end up hopelessly lost. Mm-hmm. Does that sound familiar? It does sound very familiar. Yep. Yeah, it's the same story. It's pretty much the same story. Uh, one of the famous uh, areas for fairies in PEI is a place called the Glen. Mm-hmm. It's a road in PEI that has stretches of woods and farmland. So again, you know, right where the right where the prime fairy locations. Mm-hmm. So here's a couple of popular fairy stories uh, of the PEI fairies. Here's one about a man who lived on the Glen and claimed a fairies got into his barn. This is you know, there's no names not like that, but this is this is a story that went around. Mm-hmm. So these bunch of fairies just happened to take residence in this guy's barn and the guy go in and the fairies kept playing tricks on him. They'd be moving stuff around, laughing, all the, the traditional fairy stuff. Mm-hmm. So no matter what he ever done or whatever he tried to do, he could not get rid of the fairies. He just, he just couldn't get them out. He figured he, whatever he tried to do, and I'm not really sure what it was, but it was unsuccessful. So after months of torture, he came up with the only rational plan he could conceive to get rid of himself of these tricksters. What do you think it would be? Oh, you know, I was just thinking as you were telling this story, like what were fairy traps? What were ways to get rid mm. of them? I don't know. Did he burn his place down? He burned that barn to the motherfucking ground. For real? That's what he did. Yeah. Oh. So he lit it up. He watched it burn and he was sitting there with his hands rubbing motion thinking problem solved. Mm-hmm. All taken care of. But unfortunately for him, the fairies escaped the blaze and took new residence in his house. Oh, See, don't be doing that. Keep your gross barn outside. Like, you got a shed in your backyard. If there's a mouse in the shed, fine. It's not coming in your house. Same thing with the fairies. Put your gross barn out there. Let the fairies be out there. Don't burn it down or don't be in your house. That's that's right. The hell? So, again, he had repeated attempts to get uh, rid of the fairies out of the house. Unsuccessful. So, again, after months of torture, he said, you know what? I have to burn the house down as well. (laughs) <laughs> so not only that he burnt down every structure that was on his property so there's no way the fairies are going to live here anymore so he just burned everything down okay i can only imagine him standing there looking over the scorched earth that was his property <laughs> and just getting a sleep bag getting a sleep bag and just going for sleep on the ground like problem solved type thing right you know what if he was in newfoundland he would have known that all you got to do is open your front door and your back door and it just goes on true yeah yeah yep. you might the heat bills might get a bit higher but at least uh, you won't have any fairies hanging around yeah. So this guy ended up abandoning his property altogether. So even when he burned it all down, the fairy still stuck around. So he ended up just having to leave it all. So what, they lived in the rubble? <laughs> <laughs> lived under a pile of ash. <laughs> still warm there. Yeah, that was, uh, so that was uh, one of the issues with the fairies. So like in Newfoundland, uh, the PEI fairies are tricksters. Mm-hmm. One of the ways people thought they could, to get rid of the fairies was they'd out-trick the fairies. So one popular method was, you know, potato fields. Potatoes are a very popular crop in PEI. Mm-hmm. 
and you know all potato fields are kind of like row by row by row and you just they, they grow up like any traditional farm yep if you ran across the rows as opposed the fairies are so small they can't go with you so they got to go vertical round around around that's one way you can kind of out trick the fairies and get rid of them or get away oh, from them okay. if they're trying to chase you or something like that that's interesting that they would roll in such a unique part of the landscape yeah, the and fr- the culture to the fairy yep. stories, right? You run across the potato field instead of going up and down through the, what do you call those things? Like the little rows. Crops. My crops. So again, uh, similar to Newfoundland fairy lore, PEI also had the changeling type of fairy. <gasps> My favorite. Yeah. So speaking of changeling, changelings, have you ever watched the TV show Outlander or read the books Outlander? Is it the Stones? Through the Stones. Yeah, that one. I started to watch it and I did like it, but there was a, yeah. it was way too rapey for me to watch with my kids yeah. around. I, yeah, and I agree. It's it's a very rape-inducing show, but uh, rape there's inducing? one episode. Not <laughs> inducing. That's not the right word. Rape <laughs> happening. You're not allowed to watch that show. But there's one episode specifically, that, you know, in between all the rapes that was happening. Uh-huh. Uh, someone <laughs> actually leaves a baby out in the woods fearing it's a changeling and... <gasps> Basically, the story is that the the main character of the show is is a nurse from the 40s or whatever, World War area. Uh-huh. And she goes through the stones and she goes back in time. And obviously, she's a nurse and she knows that, you know, the baby's not a changeling. And put, leaving it outside, the baby's going to die or whatever. So that's, you know, yeah. that's one of the things that the family thinks is a changeling. So they leave the baby out and the baby ends up dying. But anyway, my wife was watching oh. it and she made, sure, she made sure that I came down and watched this part because, uh, because of the podcast, so. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So then after the baby died, there was a couple more rapes and that was that, that was that episode. You're like, I don't even know you. Hey, Barry, come down. There's a baby about to die and there's going to be some rapes. You'll like it. <laughs> I want to watch, I want to watch this show. It's about oh, time traveling rapists. Um, anyway. <laughs> it's supposed to be a big romantic thing, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you meet to the true love of her life back in the, you know, the, the, the war between Scotland and England or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> some, some shit like that. Some shit. Uh, so here's a, here's a story, a changeling story from PEI. It's a story of the Kelly's Ferry from 1893. That's when this uh, incident took place or when the story was told anyway. So there was a young couple in Kings County that gave birth to a baby boy. Now, PEI is just King, Prince, and Queen County, is it? There's three counties, if I'm not mistaken. I know there's three. I don't know their names. Okay. But anyway, this one was Kings County. Mm-hmm. You know, this young couple had a baby boy. The boy was said to be perfect in every way. Healthy, family on top of the world. He got this new baby. It's healthy. It's perfect. It's it's very pleasant and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Did he so, start smoking a pipe? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so one day in October, Mr. Kelly persuaded Mrs. Kelly to leave the baby in the crib alone while he went to, to harvest the potato crops. I don't know why it was a two-person job or whatever, but Miss mm-hmm. Kelly thought was very hesitant to do it, but she guess the harvest of the potatoes was so important that they could leave their baby. So anyway, they, he convinced her to do it. He said, ah, don't worry, the baby will be fine. Mm. So they got back around noon. So this baby's been there for four or five hours in the crib on its own. And when he went to check on the baby, they noticed it looked sour and puckered. Aw, did it eat a lemon? <laughs> <laughs> baby was also very unsettled. Again, it was left alone for several hours. What do you expect? Yeah. But no matter what Mrs. Kelly did, she could not calm the baby down. Uh, the crooked temperament now became the norm for the child. And it was like it was a different baby. Don, don, don. Word began to spread about the sudden change in the demeanor of the child, and the belief was the original baby was taken by the fairies, and the baby the, Kelly was, the Kellys was now raising was in fact a changeling. Miss Kelly didn't want to believe this, but she couldn't deny the sudden and profound change in her son. So this baby became known as the Kelly Fairy. Get your shovels ready. Oh, no. No, no. They don't do the shovel. That was just okay. a throwback to our one episode. On top of this, Mr. Kelly became suddenly ill and died. So Miss okay. Kelly was now alone to raise the changeling baby all by herself. Her neighbors originally rallied around her and just kind of helped her out as much as they could with food. and Brought over a few casseroles. and. <laughs> <laughs> But over time, the goodwill of her neighbors waned as the child became more violent, explosive, and angry. Okay. So the Kelly fairy lived to be 19, and it suddenly became ill and died, like its father. Okay. So when word spread that the baby died, or the changeling died, everyone in the community came out to see the wake, to get a glimpse of the fairy. So it was like a freak show type thing. Let's go look at the, the Kelly fairy. 
The poor thing just was an outcast his whole life because he was a fairy. Aw. Such is the life of a fairy, I suppose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, the, the corpse was a fearful sight as the baby was withered and all hunched up. It lay with its hunched shoulders and its bent knees, and no matter what Miss Kelly tried to do, she could not stretch the body out. Okay. Okay. So it was just kind of in a curl. So one of the neighbors uh, decided to head to the local tavern for a few bevies prior to attending the wake. So this man was an Irish Catholic. He arrived at the wake and went to see the body. And being a good Catholic that he was, he removed his hat when approaching. But due to his drunken state, he lost balance and fell into the corpse upon approach. So when he fell in the body, the weight of him managed to straighten out the corpse. So at least he got him all nice and straight. But when this happened... <laughs> was he a party favorite? Like you blow into the... <laughs> the curl straightens out? Uh, that's right. Also, when this happened, the force caused the body to jerk upward and it appeared as if the boy sat up. So he's going to like bend out the knee. On top of that, the movement of the course caused the natural gases in the dead body to escape, making a wicked sound and a more wicked stink. It was as if the corpse was reanimating. <laughs> so oh my God. everyone started freaking out and ran out of the house and everyone's like, oh God, the corpse has come back to life. And even the guy who fell on the corpse said, Mother of God, I brought the Kelly Fairy back to life. <laughs> this is my favorite story ever. What they decided to do is they built a quick and dirty coffin, stuffed the boy in there, and just put him in the ground and never never to be spoken <laughs> of again. <laughs> so they thought he came back to life and they're like, oh, we got to take care of this yeah. one quick. So they got oh. made a pine box and stuck him in it and they stuffed him in the ground. Whatever that, became a poor old Mrs. Kelly, I wonder. I don't, I don't know. That's the end of the story. Once the, she took off with one of the Murdochs. <laughs> She married the Irish guy that fell into the corpse. Oh, my God. Leave it to an Irishman to go to a wake, to wake a corpse. Well, that's what his wake is for, really. Yeah, pretty much. So, good job, buddy. Yeah, he, he did what he was supposed to do. But anyway, I thought that oh. story was A, funny, and B, where it kind of connects back to our Newfoundland fairy story. And I never heard fairies beat you before, so I thought that was very cool and interesting. Fairy lore in Canada, anyway, I thought it was sort of not only localized to Newfoundland, but sort of localized to like Conception Bay North, like where we're from, because, yep. you know, there's so many other people that we talk to who are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Usually in the changeling stories, no matter where it is, it's always <laughs> they sort of beat this, the changeling out of them or something. Yeah. But it seems like in this case, poor old Mrs. Kelly was left to raise him and that was it. Yeah, left to like tolerate. I mean, I told you I was reading the Omen, right? It's kind of this is like the Omen story, <laughs> in a way. Yeah, no, that's I, I love I love that story, so that's why I figured that was a great story. Once I came across that, I said, "Yeah, that one has to go in." So I actually cut something else I was going to do for it. That's our episode about Prince Edward Island, smallest province in Canada. Got fairies too. I had no idea. That's that was an awesome surprise for me. Yeah, no, I, did, I didn't know it either. And as soon as I came across it, I said, oh, this is good synergy with our previous episode. And I figured we had to put it in there because, you know, I guess both being islands, both being Eastern Canada, I'm sure there's some similarities in, in the uh, in the culture. And here was a, a good story that would illustrate that. For sure. Prince Edward Island for me, very, very fond memories of my childhood, eating cow's ice cream, jumping on giant trampolines, going to see Anna Green Gables, looking at red sand, Barfing on the ferry, all that. It's all good. Driving in a Chevette. Big lobster dinners that we went to. Smorgasbords. Yeah. Yes. It was a grand laugh, sure. Um, I would go back to Prince Edward Island. I, I might choose to take the ferry rather than the 13-kilometer Confederation Bridge. i take the bridge for sure. You would take it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I, I'd do either or, but I, w- I wouldn't be afraid of taking the bridge. Oh, okay. I, I guess I wouldn't be afraid because it's been around now just, what, 20 years or so, so. Or, no, God, more than that, right? What did... 97, so 24 oh, years. 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We sometimes you like... think that, but, yeah. Yeah, I know. 1990 was 10 years ago. That's our story about Prince Edward Island. Very weird. No problem finding island lore. I think islands are generally conducive to having strong folklore. For sure. So it was... It was really fun for me, anyway, to look at my sort of childhood vacation spot in a different light, in, in a dark light. Absolutely. It's, it's what we do. Hope you enjoyed it. If you're from PEI, let us know what you think. You can send us an email at somewerepodcast at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at somewerepod, or check out our website at www.somewerepodcast.com. Check us out. Leave us a review uh, if you're so inclined. Five stars if you don't mind. 
And if you don't like it, let us know that too. We, we're very willing and open to change. Well, yeah. Maybe not to change, but, you know, let us know. And we'll take it in, under consideration. Let us know what you didn't like so we won't change anything anyway. <laughs> just, just for our knowledge. Let us know we're not yelling into a black hole. Hole, hole, yeah. hole. Exactly. All right. Our next full episode is the Yukon Territory. Yep. So that should be yes. another one I haven't visited, so I look forward to that. And uh, But like I said, hope we, if you're from PEI, I hope we did your province well. And we hope that you enjoyed it, and we hope you check us out again soon. Thanks, Little Islanders from the Big Islanders. Stories from Prince Edward Island. Some weird, boy. Some weird. This episode does not want to get done. It's going to get done, whether it fucking wants to or not. All right, here we go. (laughs) That's going to be the drop at the end.